well. Started out okay, didn't yeah. I? I got that right. Well, let's take your Bibles this morning, and uh, I'm, I'm on a roll now. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, I got it. And then I'll mess it up. So, anyway. so we're going to go to the book of Mark once again, Mark chapter 11, and let's have a look at verse 27. Last week we, uh, in fact, I think we still got a few notes left, um, words to remember in the sense of the essentials of prayer. Uh, before we read it, um, I was actually, if I hold up this like I did last week, how did you guys do? I actually thought of that a lot this week. <laughs> in God we trust. In God I trust. It's pretty good stuff. Jesus laid that out for the disciples, and now we find the next day, this being Wednesday of Passion Week, verse 27, Mark chapter 11. Here we go. And they come again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and say unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question, and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe in him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people, for all men counted John, that he was a prophet indeed. And they answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat and built a tower and let it out to, uh, to husbandmen and went into a far country. And at the season he sent to the husbandmen a servant that he might receive from the husbandmen of the vine of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent unto them another servant. And at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again he sent another and him they killed and many others beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen and will give the vineyard unto others. And have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left him and went their way. May God add a special blessing reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study this morning. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for a beauty, the beauty of creation, your love that has been expressed to all mankind through this Jesus we're talking about. We've read about that literally within 48 hours from the time of which we're seeing him walking, talking in the temple, in a confrontation, within 48 hours he will be hanging on a cross. 
that same Jesus, the one that was able to say it is finished. He had done everything necessary for mankind to be rejoined in fellowship, taking away that hindrance, that block, that thing that we could not do anything with called sin. Thank you, Father, for making that happen. Jesus, knowing this is what happened, it's amazing to see his strength, his character. Well, he is the Son of God. He is all God, all man. Today, Father, help us to see more clearly what you want us to see. Take us where you want us to be. May the Spirit exclusively be our teacher. May we be open and yielded to trusting you. We thank you for the word. It truly is in the days of this where truth seems to be so absent amongst the world. There's no seeking for truth ultimately, just as it is this t- in this time. These chief priests, scribes, religious leaders, elders, they weren't interested in the truth. They were only interested in themselves, maintaining that. Father, these moments are yours. We worship you. Again, asking the Spirit to guide and direct. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this has been a busy week for Jesus. It started on, uh, just to recap for a moment, in, on the Saturday previous, he would have arrived uh, coming through uh, Perea. They would have come through Jericho, um, had that miracle with blind Bartimaeus. There was two blind men actually were healed. And they move on through and end up in Bethany, two miles out of Jerusalem, to stay with his, I would have to say some of his best friends, right? Uh, really best friends to the point that he had a dead friend, Lazarus, and he became a live friend again. I'm thinking... Poor Lazarus, quite honestly, there was a man that had to die twice. I mean, the first time, no, I don't want to come back. Come, Lazarus, come forth. No, right? I mean, you, oh, oh, I'm back here, right? I want to go where it's really good. I want to go to paradise. That's where he was, I'm sure, because he was dead for four days. Think of that. I wouldn't want to come back either. But it was to prove a point. It was, again, to see Jesus' authority. That's a word we're going to find. Uh, I might even just write that word on, on the board. Authority. That's what this whole study today is literally about. Authority. Uh, He was shown in in our our journey, I think it's actually brought us through the the study in Mark, is really his authority over disease. Over a lot of things, isn't it? And ultimately even over death. Think of that. I mean, he has shown there's nothing that's coming his way that he is not authoritative over. The other thing that we'll find in the fact, uh, and this question is raised from the, we'll get into that in a moment, but let's, let's, I have too many things going on in my mind right now. So let's follow through the week. Saturday shows up in Bethany and he's, he's the guest at Lazarus, Mary and Martha. And it's a good place to stay, right? Well, one, one of the girls is just like this super hostess, right? She's kind of a little bit nitpicky with the other sister because the other sister wants to just listen to Jesus. I want to know what it's in his mind. I want to listen. I want to get all of that stuff. And the other one, would you tell her to get in the kitchen? <laughs> and he says, oh, oh, oh. She knows the really important stuff. Well, I'll, you know, was, they were great, right? Great sisters. There was a little bit of this going on. But it was a place to stay, wasn't it? He felt comfortable. In fact, throughout that entire week, he literally came back to this home to stay the evening. 
This was a special place. Uh, that was Saturday. On Sunday, honestly, it tells us, and we've studied through, we're just recapping this, that literally people that had heard about Lazarus and heard Jesus was at Lazarus' house came from Jerusalem to Bethany to see this stuff that they've heard about. That took up Sunday. And then Monday, Jesus arranges for his own coronation. He says, you'll go to the neighboring uh, little community, the little burg called Bethphage, and you're going to find a donkey and her, coal, her foal tied there and just untied. And then someone's going to come and tell you, what are you doing? And then you tell them the master's need, and then they'll just let you go. And you come here, and then it's going to get crazy. Oh, he didn't say that. He didn't tell them about that. Did he? But wouldn't that be something? I, I've said it, it, It's still a marvel to me. And they named two disciples, didn't say who they were. Two disciples go to get this job done. Imagine as they're going, what are we doing? <laughs> and then you see, oh, look at that. It's like he said, there they are. And why don't you on time? I mean, <laughs> no, you go ahead. <laughs> well, right? Who wants to be a donkey rustler? I mean, really, <laughs> literally, right? And so they, they on time. And sure enough, I mean, you'd have to be like, and yeah, what are you doing? Ah, uh, uh, Jesus, the, the master needs them. Oh, well, go ahead. Oh, this is so strange, right? And then by the end, literally within a couple of hours probably, even shorter, there's people laying out coats and they're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Messianic themes and titles and he's become king. It's a wild time and everybody's excited. And then the last event we found in one of the gospels was he went to the temple. That was the evening, sort of like late afternoon, evening, and he's, he just he doesn't do anything. Mark is pretty clear about that, he, he, but he assesses it. It must have broke his heart. Now, I did look up the size of the temple. We'll talk about that in a moment. It's not your average Ruby Valley Bible church. <laughs> and you saw something. I want to point this out to you. Uh, I'll come back. I'll, I'll finish. <laughs> I hope I will. Keep, keep me on, on task. Verse 27, Mark chapter 11 says, And they come to Jerusalem, again to Jerusalem. This would be Wednesday. And as he was walking in the temple... This is a big place. We'll talk about it in a moment. So that's uh, Monday. Assesses the temple, goes back to Bethany. The next morning, which I'm convinced just from looking at the language, because guess who would have a fantastic breakfast again the next morning? Well, of course they would, because Jesus is the host. Jesus is the one a few weeks before that literally raised their brother from dead, and now he's alive. That would probably be steak and eggs. That's awesome, right? But you know what? I don't think Jesus, he was too busy. He was too busy because it says when they were leaving to go back to Jerusalem, day Tuesday, and he's got something on his mind. He is going to do something that he's done before, and he is going to play and clean the place up. But he's hungry. He sees this fig tree, which is a perfect picture if you go to the Old Testament of Israel. And he says, oh, I'm hungry. He goes over and all he sees is just fluff, just leaves. There's nothing in there. There's no fruit. What does he say? You know, if you just read that you know, absently or you just see it from a distance, you say, man, he's just chapped today. He's having a bad day. He's, you know, that's a little crab. You don't see Jesus <laughs> destroying things, and that's the only destructive miracle that we actually see of all of Jesus' miracles. But it is literally coming to a point. We're going to see now in these events, which are unfolding, chapter 12 of Mark will be completely full of it as well, that there's literally judgment and condemnation of the leaders of Israel and Israel itself. There is, there is judgment coming. Now, we should guard that. So I, I don't want to get too far down this trail, but America has been blessed by God. But we will be judged. God is not going to make apologies to others for some of the same things that we're engaged in doing right now. 
We, it, he's very, very consistent. Don't you like that about a parent? Very consistent? I just didn't want any beatings, right? <laughs> but you know what? You don't want, you want to know that that parent is consistent. That's one of the things actually as a parent with, with Lisa and I is maintaining consistency. And, you know, a child can see, how am I getting down this trail? But I, for just a moment, uh, it's amazing how even a child can pick up which parent is the most addressable for the situation at hand. There was sometimes they came to dad, sometimes they went to mom. And then we'd play it a little bit, right? Isn't it key that the mom and dad are consistent? You know, God the Father is always consistent, always. Never misses a beat, ever. He's perfectly perfectly pure, holy, and righteous all the time. And he is not going to take what America is dishing out right now. There's judgment. Well, we'll get into that probably next week, honestly. What God is doing is turning us over to the very thing that we think we want. Isn't that sometimes the worst thing can happen? We pray for something. I've, you know, sometimes even a, an adult would we will pray for something, and you know what's the worst thing could happen? Worst thing could happen. That's really what's happening now. If you look at the ideology taking place that has captured America, it is the worst thing that could happen. I mean, we've engaged in the, there's 26 different genders now that we're identifying with. That's being turned over to a reprobate mind. That's a mind that cannot think properly or clearly. We're literally getting what we deserve. Oh, I digress. I, I got down that trail. So let's come back. Reel it back in. Day, where are we at? Where did I leave you? Tuesday, right? So Jesus curses the fig tree, which literally is cursing Israel, cursing the, the religious leaders. There's no fruit. You should be able to go to the temple, and you should have a wealth of God's gifts that he's giving to mankind, and there's nothing there but fluff. And he says, curse the tree. Will you feed no one anymore? It's amazing. It just lines up perfectly what's literally, he's going to unfold this parable that we read in chapter 12. I don't know if we're going to get that far today, but it's an unfolding of judgment coming to that nation, which came in 70 AD. That temple was leveled. In fact, we could, oh, there's so much stuff here. But the point of the matter is, the fig tree was the first in the morning, and then he goes about doing the business at hand. He spent the entire day, well, he started out the day by getting rid of the stuff that shouldn't be in the temple. He's cleaning this place. And I'm not talking about the vacuum cleaner. He gets rid of the stuff that is totally deterring from what God the Father wants to happen in his house. This is a house of prayer. And literally, I think I said this, maybe I didn't. But at the bottom end of the, of the temple, you know, it was on the temple mount. Remember, we went through that, Mount Moriah. Remember where Moses, uh, not Moses, Abram would have worshipped God by sacrificing, potentially, uh, his son, Isaac, that place is at the top of the Temple Mount, which is literally that mountain is where the temple was placed. What a, what a sacred thing to think. And now, at the bottom end, it was easier for the merchants that are doing business in Jerusalem to go through the gate that went through the courtyard of the temple to just go through. And it was a thoroughfare of just merchandising going on. It was a caravan route in the temple. Why I'm too excited. I got not down just a little bit, Larry. Just relax a little bit. And he put an end to that. He stopped that. And he got rid of the merchant, the, those that are doing business. They're doing business in the temple. Uh, I don't know. I just get, I have to tell you how big the temple is. Okay? I think it's, it just keeps, tell them. Okay, I'm going to tell them. All right, so how big do you think the temple is? Big. <laughs> that is really, that, that is profound. It is. So I'm going to give you dimensions that would be in feet. 
Okay, so we're going to go, I'm just going to go east, west, north, and south. So we're going to start this way. Um, and I have to, I don't, I don't have them memorized. Imagine that. Oh, I guess I can put my glasses on. So the east wall was four, whoops, sorry. They had it in meters, so I had to convert it. I'm not a meter guy. 1,500 feet. Uh, the north wall was 1,033 feet. The south wall was 200, whoops, that's meters again, 918 feet. And the west wall was 1,590 feet. Okay. Now, a quarter mile is 1,320 feet. Do you see why Jesus was walking around in the temple? It's marveling to me what kind of man it would have taken to clear this place out. Do you see? It's not like cleaning up the Ruby Valley Bible Church, right? I mean, we got stuff. There's animals. There's, there's stuff inside here that is just mind-boggling. Now, for me, I'm an acres guy, right? I mean, I look at that feet. Okay, that's cool. That's like a quarter mile by a quarter mile by a quarter mile by a quarter mile. If you do that, all of that. You know, and that's about 40 acres. That's how my word. It's 35 acres inside the walls. The walls are 10 stories high. This is a place. There's stuff happening in here. And this day, Wednesday, the day after he cleaned it, now he ticked a lot of people off on Tuesday. Now, especially if you're a king on Monday, I'm going to put this over here. Can you tell I'm just totally disorganized today? So on, Tuesday, on Monday, he's a king. Tuesday, his first job, his first executive order is to clean the temple. Not to wipe out the Romans. Not to take a stand in front of a journalist to get it across the Jerusalem Times. I am going to beat the Romans. No, none of that. He curses a fig tree, which is a figurative of the Old Testament. Uh, shall we say a picture of the Jewish nation and the leaders and the temple. And then he goes and does it. Literally goes in the temple and starts throwing stuff out. Getting people out of there. Shutting doors. Not letting commerce go through. And he says, this is a house of prayer. And on Wednesday, coming back into town from Bethany. That's what we read. Verse 27. This is his day that he owns the temple. He owns it. He actually began healing and teaching on Tuesday afternoon. It became late enough, I'm convinced, as they went home that it was, it was late. He had spent a whole day in the temple because that's where really God's work wants to be. He wants to start where, his, where, his, where the meat, where the, where the fruit is, and fruit, all of that ties together. Think of that for a moment, 35 acres. It's interesting they didn't try to stop him. Excuse me? It's interesting they didn't try to stop him. He, I was thinking the same thing. Don't you think they think he's the king? He's coming in. They didn't know what to do with him. Yeah. They flat did not. Because I mean, it, it took them all night, Tuesday night, to come up with how do we trap this dude? Because he's done two things now. Now, granted, Jesus is fully in control. Fully in control. There's no question here. They want to take him out. He knows it. In fact, in fact, is this the time for that? Um, no, I can't do it right now. We want to step back. and th They've been dogging him for three years. And I'm going to tell you why. We'll talk about that in just a second. But for three years, they've chased him, and they've dogged him, and they want him dead. But it did say earlier that they were going to wait until after 
the Passover because it's too intense. There's too many people. There's too much emotion. There's too much stuff. It wouldn't look good. But after that, watch out, Jesus, because we're coming for you. And Jesus, knowing that he had to be the Passover lamb, because John the Baptist said, Behold, the, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. That's a destined point of time. And it will be on a Friday. It will be coming later this week that literally he, the Son of God, will become the Lamb of God, which will be on a cross to prove to the entire universe that he satisfactorily can pay the penalty of sin. That's on the court. But he's got to speed it up because they're on the wrong timetable. So what do you do first? Become a king. <laughs> That'll get their attention. And then the next day, make it worse. Go in and make the king go in and clean the temple and wipe out all of the commerce, all of the merchandry. That's not a word, is it? But you get the idea. And now they are major ticked off. You talk about huddling on a Tuesday night. There was no prayer meeting on a Tuesday night. There was a go get him meeting on Tuesday night. They're fired up. They want this dude taken out. And they have to come up with the perfect plan because they're in, a, they're, in a, they're in a tough spot. Because the people, they, now they're perceiving Jesus to do things that he's not interested in doing. He's coming to clean up a heart. They want him to clean up the Romans. So they're on a different page, but nonetheless still very popular, obviously. So they've got to be really careful. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Whew. So Wednesday morning, Jesus comes in, and he's going to teach again. In fact, you'll, I think it's in Luke, and it talks about the fact that he is teaching in the temple on these two days, Tuesday and Wednesday. I mean, literally laying, wouldn't have you wanted to have been there? I mean, it would have been just captivating to listen to Jesus talk about, remember those, two, those people on the road to Emmaus after his, after his crucifixion? And he just pops in and starts sharing, and they were just, their eyes became open, seeing what the scriptures really said. Now, keep in mind, the scriptures were never important to the religious leaders. They, they, don't, they weren't interested. Not at all. They don't, his, this, is, this is really key. In all of those three years where they, they really were dogging Jesus, there's not one time, not one place, that they literally sought Jesus to know the truth. They didn't want to know the truth. You find in our world today, they don't want to know the truth. That's why the truth is hard to find, because you spin it, and you don't, what, if I pull that dollar bill out, in self we trust. In other words, when we began to think that you could have your truth, Alice could have her truth, Paul could have your truth, Ryan could have his truth, and you could all have your own truth, as long as you don't hurt one another, whatever that means, then what it does is it takes the real truth and just melts it down into whatever it is that you believe is no better or no worse. That's when this nation fell apart. That's when a world will fall apart. And that's where we're at today. Hypocrites never want the truth. That's what these religious leaders are. They're fakes. They're frauds. They're illegitimate. They don't want truth. They just want Jesus dead because he's messing with their, with their system. Ah, right? Where to now? Hmm. I'm still blown away at the 35 acres. You guys had a question I didn't even answer. Did you notice I didn't even answer that question? That was pretty smooth, wasn't it? So let's keep... <laughs> What's that? You're a politician. I'm... Oh, thank you so much. That was... That was... Ah, I feel so much better now. <laughs> no, no. I, I t I'll take that with just a little bit of a grain of salt, right? Okay. So, yeah, how did he do that? How did they let him get away with that? I think they were stunned. I think they were absolutely stunned. And, and, did you just see their question on Wednesday morning? By 
Who do you think you are? That's what we would think of saying. By what authority did you do that? Now, the reason they said authority, because he did it. He just flat did it. I think it was so fast and so over the top. They were just sitting there with their mouths hanging open, right? Now, they were ticked off. Don't get me wrong. He was fully in charge of that day. I still don't. I'm looking at 35 acres, and there's a lot of stuff going. There's a lot of commerce. This is Passover week. It's an you, you think somebody says Jesus is, is meek and weak? That is one man's man. Plus, he's God besides. That doesn't hurt anything. This is amazing. 35 acres. But they don't like what he did, and that's why they had to come with, how are we going to expose him? What are we going to do to this guy? we got to get him out of here now. See, the, the whole thing, the whole mission is expedited. It is on ramped up, take him out immediately. Well, the question they ask is a good one. They already know the answer. In fact, all they want, do, remember, remember when we were talking about Perea? See, I'm even pointing to a map that's not there anymore. And, and how they, they said to him, uh, Jesus, what do you say about divorce? Just out of the blue, just boom, just drop it on him. Why did they do that? You remember. Because that's how John the Baptist was beheaded. In that territory. Because Herod did it. And Herod's still sort of boss. And if Jesus would just say the same thing, Oh, but he's so good. You know what Jesus uses an authority on that day? Remember it? What did he say? What does the scripture say? See, that's what makes it easy for me and it makes it easy for you. When you're in a conversation, it does not matter what you think. It does not matter what you know. It is what did God say? And if it's in the Bible, I can say that with what? Authority. That's the strength of all of that. You have just as much authority... As Jesus did, because we could go to the scripture, we maybe do that. He delegated authority to his disciples over disease, over demons, and literally the authority to share the kingdom of God and the message of gospel. We have the same authority because God said it. And if God said it, it means something. Now, whether they accept it or not, well, guess how did the religious leaders accept this? They didn't want to know any of this stuff. They just want Jesus to go away. That's what's happening in our world today. They just want truth to go away. It's not going away. Truth will last forever. Thank God. This, this word of God, this Bible, this, this word that we literally lay our lives in our foundation, that is not going anywhere. And that is a true amen. Hallelujah. That's the stick to it. That's the deal. That's the foundation. Without that, we're, we're a joke. Show me somebody that doesn't have the foundation of God in their life. They don't have God's word. They don't have Jesus. Their life's a wreck. Now, there's something here. I don't, again, we probably weren't going to get to it, but that parable even describes and digresses for a moment for Jesus. He didn't answer their question, and I'll tell you why he didn't answer their question. If he had, he would have played right into their hands because he, they knew he was going to say by what authority. Well, he would have said, by God's authority. What has he just done? In their minds, he has just blasphemed. And a blasphemer is worthy of death. In fact, there's a, there was a Jewish code, if you will. He put together a lot of stuff 150 years later from this. It's called the Mishnah. Okay? And part of that, what a blasphemer was described as someone. In fact, uh, let me see how I wrote that down. Glasses. 
I've got to find it. I want to get it right. Uh, a blasphemer is one who assumes false authority. They were living by the same code today. As 150 years later, they wrote it down, right? That's all they got to get him to say. He just said, well, I'm, I'm, well, the authority that I cleaned the temple and cleansed it was from, because I got it from God. And by the way, I am God. He's declared that too. If he would say that right now in front of all of these people, we could say, aha, he's a blasphemer. In fact, you remember, let's go to, let's go to Mark chapter, let's try 1434. Mark 14, I hope I'm right. This is, uh, this is in front of, let's see. That is not right. Uh, what a drag. Where did I, where was that at? Oh, no, 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 no. Here we go. Um, let's try this. I'm going to look before I have you look, though. It's just a minute. 2265. Oh, this is another story. Um, four, oh, I know. I was in the right chapter. I just went to the wrong verse. Mark 14, verse 64. There we go. There we go. There we go. Okay, now look at this. This is how they literally handed him over to the Romans because they didn't have a power to kill. But let's go to verse 61. Verse 60, set it up. The high priest. Here's the high priest. He stood up in the midst, verse 60, Mark chapter 14, and asked Jesus, saying, Answer so nothing? What is it which these witnesses have against you? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Oh, they hate that. And again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ? The son of the blessed. He's, he, now he's probing, right? Because he wants Jesus to say he's the Messiah. Then they got him. They got him. And Jesus said, I am. <laughs> and you shall see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Watch verse 63. Then the high priest ripped his clothes and said, what need do we have? Any further witness? You have heard the blasphemy. What think you? And they all condemned to be guilty of death. That's exactly the question they're asking him in the temple as he's walking around teaching people. By what authority did you do that yesterday? If you would have said, from God. Boom, they got him. He's done. He's toast. But they forget every time they play this guy in a chess game, he wins every single time. And this would have been one, we got him this time. We got him. Because he's going to say the truth. and he's gonna... See, that's some... isn't it amazing how sometimes the enemy will twist Twist the context so that the truth looks like it's really the dumbest thing you could say? Oh, Jesus handles him well. He, he's, it's a rabbinical kind of a teaching uh, procedure. He said, he's, it's like answering a question with a question. That's cool stuff, right? So they lay it out there. By whose authority did you clean the temple yesterday? Who do you think you are? Have you ever had that said to you? I think my mother said it a couple of times. <laughs> Larry Dwight Melhoff, who do you think you are? <laughs> that, can't, that meant something, didn't it? Yeah. Didn't happen often. I just want to be sure that we, we, we assess that. Right? Didn't, and you're laughing. You know too much, don't you? But you know what? That's what it was about. Who do you think you are? And this is coming from the, the big dogs, right? This is the religious. These are, these are actually those three groups, so the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, and it says the elders. Who's the other one? The elders. the elders. Okay. Those three actually constitute the Sanhedrin. That's, that's like the judicial inside the, the, this really, uh, the, the religious community. Let me just say it that way. And, and, and they made decisions. In fact, he met before the Sanhedrin. He actually was, was, was in a trial 
with them. So these are the guys. These people are the ones that are making life miserable. By whose authority? In other words, they're the authority. We didn't tell you to do this. You're going against us. How dare you? Just goading them on to say, I got my, I got my authority from God. Because they'd have it. But his question is brilliant. <laughs> what does he say? Well, I'll tell you what. Here's the deal. I'm going to ask you a question. And if you answer the question, then I'll answer your question. Hmm. I think they know they're in trouble right now. I think they can just feel it, right? He says, so what do you guys think about the baptism of John? Ooh, this is huddle time. You don't pop that one off. In fact, it says that they're dialoguing, they're discussing, they're creating a, ooh. We'll get back to you on that. And they're, it's like they're, they're huddling in the corner. And this, this, I think this was really literally where it was, they are between a rock and a hard place. They don't know what to say because they even tell you here. They, they even dialogue for us in the scriptures. Mark unfolds this. He says, boy, if we say that the baptism of John is not from God, that's a problem. Because the people thought it was from God. But if we say... This doesn't look good, guys. I think we're in trouble. <laughs> now, again, these are, the, these are the elitists, right? This is, this is the guy that knows everything. These are the, the, the intellectual gurus. And you know what their answer was? Uh, after thinking it over, we don't know. <laughs> these, that must have been almost funny in the temple as Jesus would have laid this, because they came to him in public. They're, they're going to make this a public setting. They're going to take him out by, as soon as he says that, my authority comes from God. Boom, he's done, right? So they've set this up very public. And then he turns it around, and these guys, this, this was the hardest thing to say. It was unimaginable. There was no good answer, so they had to say, uh, being the rulers and the leaders of <clears throat> religion and <clears throat> like Israel, and uh, <clears throat> we don't know. <laughs> I mean, I bet there was smirking and laughter through the entire place because they know everything. Just ask them. You probably know people like that. Right? These guys were so pompous. They were so pride. And they said, we don't, we don't, we don't, we, 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 we don't know. And then Jesus, of course, says, well, I guess you don't want to know either. <laughs> and then he tells that parable, which we're not going to get to for a moment. But do you see how masterfully he plays? His authority is amazing. By the very sense of how he played this, his authority is just over the top. Over the top. And they're just, they're like, and they left, right? It says, let's get out of here. Remember the last time they kind of did that? They brought the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And they, you know, and he's doing other stuff. Jesus is like that. Isn't he so good? He just, whatever happens, he deals with it. That's a good lesson I need to learn all of the time. I can be so engaged in what I'm doing, and there's something, there's a phone call. Oh, by the way, I just happened to think of this. Steve Martin, you guys, I told you about praying for him. He got back to me on Friday, got his report back, and he does have a very rare form of bone cancer. So he's going to be going to Mayo um, to get another opinion, but lift, lift Steve up. It looks like it's very aggressive, very fast, and uh, he didn't give me the name, of it, but it's very, very rare. And it just, In fact, the doctor that assessed it said, it, I can't even hardly tell you anything about it. I've got to get you to another level. We've got to go to somebody that knows. So pray for Steve. Steve's in good spirits. He said, you know... 
I'm, I'm just ready to do whatever God wants me to do. But looks, it looks a little tumultuous for a while. Okay, so when God brings those things, just like that. See, it was, it was, it was really interesting, right? You, you know, somebody pops in your mind, you're supposed to call, you're supposed to do something. Do it. Do it. Don't, don't say later. Later is a bad word. When, you're, when, when God pumps into your mind, it's not because he wants you to do it later. He wants you to do it now. Well, I'll just finish this round. I've got 40, see, I got 40 acres I got to go do. I got to get it. No, no, stop. Just stop. Just stop. It'll be there when you're done. Make the call. Whatever it is, text. I don't care because it'll pop in your mind. Have you had that happen? It happens a lot, doesn't it? And it's so easy to push it off. And I tell you what, it's so rewarding the times that I've just said, oh, that's it. Now, it'd probably be better if you pulled off a of traffic, don't stop right in the middle of the road, but you get off and you, and I can't tell you how many times it's happened the last number of years. Oh, your timing was impeccable. It was, I needed it right then. No, no, God's timing is impeccable. My, I, I didn't, it's God that made that happen. And it's amazing, isn't it amazing how that encouragement comes? It's just those little moments. Jesus was just like that. He took this thing and they dropped this woman into his, really in the presence of him and said, this woman was caught in adultery. And he was probably talking about something very, very, very different. And it wasn't like, I don't want to deal with that right now. I'm busy. I'm engaged. If you didn't notice, thanks for the rudeness. No, he just, he just dealt with it, right? What would have that been like to be silenced again? He says, well, you know what? You're right. It is punishable by death. Uh, so whoever is sinless here in this group, you guys, you can throw the first stone. Again, didn't see that one coming. <laughs> and they just and, and it says almost the oldest ones left first because they got it early. And the other, well, go ahead, go ahead. Where did they go? Isn't that amazing? That's how Jesus handles it. He's in charge all times. Now, did you see? There's like 75 times in the gospel. I didn't count them. I'm taking someone else's word for it. About 75 times he said, truly, truly, I say unto you. That's a statement. If you, that's very un-rabbi-like. Because most of the time, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of those people, they would quote someone else. According to whoever, and Jesus just blows that out of the water. He said, truly, I say unto you. I say unto you. Do you know how many times he consulted or had this meeting? He said, you know, he didn't. But, so he says to the disciples, hey, guys, I think we should have a meeting with the with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, just kind of get our, you know, just kind of get things opened up, you know, kind of get our, you know, just, you know, get opened up. So there's no bad feelings, and we just kind of visit a little bit. Just, just relax and relate, you know, just release a little bit. No, he didn't do that. Or he didn't, you know, I wonder, I wonder what, maybe I should get him on the phone. What do they think? What do, what do they think about, should I, should I talk to them about this? No, not one time. Now, of course, they didn't want the truth, because they're totally illegitimate. They're totally, they're just creeps. But he doesn't, he doesn't kowtow to anything. He doesn't consult with them. He doesn't talk about how we should do this. Should we get along? No, he just, the truth, the truth. And the, the most irritating part for him was the fact that they are the ones leading the people spiritually. That's what makes God really upset. There's a special place for those in, quote, religion that are leading someone that wants to know about God in the wrong direction. That is extremely serious. False prophets didn't live long. And there's punishment coming for that. That's, what, that's really what this is all about, is the condemnation of, of this religious community that has just failed miserably by feeding the people, a la back to the fig tree. 
They got cursed because it's a picture of Israel, which has failed to do everything that God had asked them to do. In fact, even we, we went and looked at that, to show Jesus to the world. That's what the church is for. And Israel was God using them to show God to the world. And they failed miserably. They got caught up in the world. Isn't it easy? It's, sometimes there's so much world in the church you can't tell the difference. There's some church doctrine, I'm just, I'm just talking, you know, just looking around, they call themselves a church, and I'm like, what? How do you get there? What are, you, what are you reading? You must not have the Bible. That's not what it says in the Bible. Well, we don't, we don't follow that part of the Bible. We just have our part of the Bible that we adhere to. Oh, we just rip that page out. There's actually, there was, <laughs> I don't know the name of the uh, seminary, but literally they just voted on it. We voted on it. And then they just have this little, you know, you had red beads and white beads and black beads. Black was a no. White was a yes. And the red was, well, I don't know. And that's how, they, no, truth doesn't work like that. How would you like to have God run things that way? Oh, what am I thinking about today? Let's see. I'm going to go. No, I don't like that today. See, that's, that's what makes, that's what makes uh, Islam so dangerous. Because Allah can change his mind. They see that as an attribute. I think of those people that flew into the 9-1 into those towers. And they did it with, you know, we got the 70 virgins. We're we're in the paradise. And we've done it the right way. We have declared jihad against the wicked ones. But could be a couple million years later, all of a sudden Allah says, I don't think we're going to do it that way anymore. We're going to change the plan here. Do you want a God like that? I'm so glad that our God is described in Hebrews as, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. I want Jesus to be the sacrifice forever. Isn't that true? Absolutely. I suppose I should find out where I'm supposed to be out of my notes, huh? What do you think? Boy, there's a lot of stuff here. Let's go to Luke chapter 7 for a moment. I'm not even sure why, but let's go there. Luke chapter 7 and verse 28. Luke 7, verse 28. He's talking, this is Jesus talking about John the Baptist. For I say unto you, Luke chapter 7, verse 28, For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God or agreed that God was right, what do you know what I say, being baptized with the baptism of John. But, verse 30, the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. So you see, even by their very actions, when they asked, when Jesus asked them, is the baptism of John, is that from God or from men? Well, their very actions displayed that. But do you see why if they said if it, was, if it was not of God, what would have happened? They would have seen, are you ready? They would have seen as being blasphemers because if you said that a true prophet of God was not a prophet of God, you know what you call that? Go ahead and say it, blasphemy. Guess what happens to blasphemers? They're killed. Do you see how Jesus just twisted this thing around? And they're like, how did he do that? That must have been the huddle on Wednesday night. Huh, he got us again. He never loses, ever. Very interesting. 
And then, look, verse, uh, Luke chapter 20, Luke chapter 20 and verse 6. This is what Luke writes in the parallel passage to what we're reading in Mark. Luke chapter 20, and let's start in verse 19. Luke 20, 19. The chief priests and the scribes, the same hour, sought to lay hands on him, and they feared the people. Now, this is after he's cleaned the temple, and they, they were ticked off. They feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against him. He's told this parable, and they were there. And they watched him and sent forth spies, which should feign themselves just men, that they might take a hold of his words, so that they might deliver him unto the power and authority of the governor. That's what they want. They want him to declare the fact that he is a blasphemer. Go back to verse 6. Luke chapter 20, verse 6. But, and if we say, they're reasoning with themselves, verse 5, say, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, well, why did you not believe him? Verse 6. But if we say of men, watch this, this is not in Mark, all the people will stone us. (laughs) Because the people which we read back in, in, in Luke uh, in, uh, in Mark, the fact that they believed that John was a prophet of God. They, are in a, they were in a pickle. They are in a pickle. Authority. That's really the key of Jesus' whole ministry, isn't it? Authority. He, he spoke with authority. He had authority over disease. He had authority over death. He had authority over demons. He had authority over doctrine. In fact, look, look at Mark chapter 2. Let's go back to Mark chapter 2. He even had authority over sin. Mark chapter 2 and verse 10. Mark 2.10. That's what this whole section is about is authority. Mark chapter 2 and verse 10. Start in verse 9. Whether, is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sin be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Did you see that? He has the power over sin. He has the power to save. Look at John 1.12. Aren't you glad? John chapter 1, verse 12, a verse you probably well know. John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power or authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You know, there's something, Jesus was so compassionate, so kind, he could take a hard line against these hypocrites. But did you ever see him ask permission to do anything from anyone for anything? Not one time. Not one time. Now think about your week. You probably called someone for permission to do something. And there's probably some of you that didn't and should have. (laughs) Okay? But all through the Gospels, Jesus never asked permission to do anything uh, from anyone to do anything. He had all the authority necessary, completely, fully in control. I want to catch you to the level of of hatred that they would have for him. These that made up the Sanhedrin. And by the way, keep in mind, they weren't just, they weren't isolated in Jerusalem. And the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, even, we'll talk about me, the Herodians next week. But all of those people, they didn't just stay in Jerusalem. They were everywhere. Again, 
there was only a couple of examples, those that were religious leaders that literally would have come to Jesus. Remember, one came at night, John chapter 3. What was his name? Nicodemus. Now, there's a man that was truly seeking. Now, he approached him at a, you know, for, I don't know the reasons, but at night, just it's said there, it, to me, is suspect from the standpoint, at least initially, you know, that Jesus is an interesting character. I've got to be honest. I've, I've seen healings. I've heard him do. I mean, he's, he's an amazing speaker. I mean, the dude is just coming up with stuff that we as religious leaders should know, and we don't have any authority. I mean, remember, remember from the very beginning, he spoke with what? Authority. He said, I'm, I'm going to just see. Maybe I could pop in and just visit with him at night so no one would see me. We could just kind of engage a little bit, right? And you know, John chapter 3, it's one of the most vivid pictures of life. John 3.16 has got to be a favorite verse of, you know, of anyone that knows anything about the Bible. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's so, it's grand. And that was to this guy Nicodemus, a religious leader. But he's, he's way out. He's not. That's not common. Isn't it amazing how God is ready to receive anyone out of a place that has been condemned? The religious leaders, in fact, that's really what this parable is about. We're going to get into next week. It's too late. Grace has its limits. He is done. In fact, look at this. How would you, this, just get a sense of the finality. And I got to come back. Somebody please remind me of John chapter 2. We will go back. Not now, but we're going to go to Mark chapter 11. And let's look at how this thing ends. Because I just want to see there's, there's a finality of this. Uh, verse 31, let's get their picture of their rock and hard place verses. They reasoned with themselves saying, verse 31, Mark chapter 11, saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, well, why then do you do not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people. And we just told you why. If you go to Luke, they were going to stone them. For all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. Verse 33. And they answered and said to Jesus, we cannot tell. And then look at this. Jesus answering saith unto them, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. It was just like, I am done with you. It's over. That is, so that stands for anyone if you want to say no to God and his invitation, the gospel message, I don't know how many times it takes, but there is a point. They were done. There's finality. That chapter 12, which we're going to go through probably in two or three different sessions, it is all about him condemning the religious leaders because he is finished. They are too late. It reminds of, of, of Isaiah chapter 5 and 6. I was going to go there today, but I don't think we're going. We're, I don't want to get started in that. But literally, he uses Isaiah 5 and 6, are almost the same terminology that he's laying this parable out to these religious leaders in the first century as what it was just before they were thrown to the Babylonians. And then he says to Isaiah in chapter 6 of Isaiah, remember Isaiah, he's seeing all of this, and he said, oh, what am I supposed to do? And he said, tell them. And he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then you know that seraphim came and put a hot coal on his lips. That's one way to get. There's different ways to clean up a mouth. That's not the one I was, that I really, <laughs> but you know what? He was seen almost as redeemed then. Isaiah was able. And he said, uh, who's going to do this work? And he's the only one there. So he says, I'll check it out. I'll get back. No, he says, I am. I'm here. I'm, you know what's the same response we should have? Today is a day that we have so much work to do. So many people to reach. And I know, Holy Spirit does that. He's the one that woos and calls. But you know what? Our job is to go out and tell the story. 
And Isaiah, he says, how long do I do it? And who do I say it to? What is, what is the message? He's so full of questions. Uh, in fact, that'll be your homework for next week. Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah chapter 6. Read those two chapters. They go together, and they actually are a precursor to what we're going to be talking about in the parable we find in Mark chapter 12. But in chapter 6 of Isaiah, he is told, this is what I want you to tell you. This, this, this is the message, Isaiah. I want you to go, and I want you to tell them this. It's too late. Too late for what? I mean, they can always come back. No, no, it, it was done. The Babylonians were coming. You could scream, shout, pout, whatever you want to do. It's too late. There is a limit to God's grace. There will be an end at the end of the tribulation. There will be an end at the end of the millennium. That literally, it's too late. If you go through this life, this physical life, and you have failed to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, trust in God we trust, trusting Jesus, trusting God's plan. You fail to do that after your last breath, it's too late. Grace has its limits. It's so amazing how powerful and widespread and magnanimous and over-the-top powerful it is, but it has its limits. That's scary to think of, isn't it? And for Jesus to say, I'm literally done talking to you. And we'll find in chapter 12, there's three instances. He's going to take all three of those parties, and there's going to be a direct condemnation to each one of those as we tear that chapter apart. He is done. I don't want to be on that side of Jesus. I don't want to be there. No one should want to be there. In the nation Israel, they've spit in God's face long enough. In Isaiah chapter, chapter 5 and 6, that's 8th century. It's a long time before, and it actually matches exactly what takes place in the 1st century. And God's judgment and destruction was wielded out in 70 AD. The temple was leveled. This 35-acre complex that took 84 years, they worked on it for 84 years, it was demolished, gone, over with. God had had enough. I've had enough. I wonder what he's saying about America. It must, he must be weeping. For someone to start out so strong, those founding fathers to trust, trust God for the battles, for the victories, to trust him, to pray before they get in session, to create a document of which they could live by for years coming. And that Constitution of the United States, I'm not saying that it is like the Bible. I'm not suggesting that for a second. But if you take those men in that time, in that short amount of time to come up with a document like that, it is God behind that. God worked among men. Today, I would be fearful to have our leaders write something that would... In fact, we're trying to destroy it. Ah, in God we trust. When are we going to get back to that? <laughs> the secret is on the back of our money. In God we trust. Don't trust in man. Don't trust in woman. Don't trust in the thing. Don't trust in you. Don't trust in anything but God. Not even the money. No. In fact, that was kind of a, it was kind of like a tongue-in-cheek last week is the fact, you know, we start, the dollar bill, which doesn't buy anything. <laughs> a dollar is almost like a penny now. You just throw it. It's, just, it's a joke. I'm not saying to do that, but isn't it? It's amazing. It don't buy nothing. 
What can you buy with a dollar? A dollar store? That is misnamed. <laughs> totally misnamed. They need to go to the $10 store or the $100 store. Don't call it a dollar store. What are you going to get in that place when it's a dollar? I should go in and look. What can you get for a buck? What's that? They're all a dollar a quarter now. Oh, a dollar a quarter. So they're moving. Inflation's got a hold of them. Fair enough. Fair enough. But you know why our money isn't worth anything? Because we're not trusting God. That's exactly what it's about. Israel's the same way. They've got a plan. They've got a purpose. They've got commerce going on. They've got economy in the temple. I mean, they're, ma they're taking it home. <laughs> we're making money at, at home. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way it's going to be. In fact, you're done. You're done. There's, that, is, that is scary. When Jesus literally, he said, it's over with you. And he told, God told Isaiah, just tell him it's too late. Really? <laughs> you know how they treated the prophets? How did Isaiah? He said he was sawed in half. That kind of fits in with the, with the parable, right? We'll get into all of that next week. They hated the prophets. Why? Because they don't want truth. They want it their way. And then Isaiah said, how, how, long, how, how, how long, how long am I going to have to say it's too late? And if you follow, you're gonna, that's in your homework. It's going to tell you that until there's no one left in the cities, until there's no one left, tell them all. And in 586 B.C., guess what? The Babylonians came in and absolutely destroyed and leveled that place. Just everything that God said. I'm fearful for America. I really am. And it's, it's such a travesty. I mean, we were such a gift to the rest of the world. Again, God, I don't know why God actually, other than God respects, and, and that's not the right word, rewards those that trust and live by faith. And I just look at those, and again, I, I don't know their spiritual hearts or their conditions, but it was amazing. Those leaders, those revolutionaries, those, those patriots, those literal, I mean, founding fathers, it, you cannot miss they trusted God. And maybe there's some of them, there's nothing else to trust. Right? They knew what was missing. They knew the worship of God was gone. They knew that they were not literally afforded the rights that should be afforded to right, that afforded, afforded rights that they desired. And they trusted God for it. That's why America was great. And it's so sad to see. We've fallen. And I think we've fallen from God's grace. Because just as Romans chapter 1 is very, core, it's very, very, it fits the pattern. We'll talk more about it next week. But you take Isaiah chapter 6, and Isaiah's message is it's too late. You know how we know it's too late in Romans chapter 1? God literally turns them over to a reprobate mind. You can do whatever definition you want of a reprobate mind, and it's one that is flawed, faulty, cannot think clearly. I was listening to a debate between Senator Hawley from Missouri and, and, a, and a professor from Berkeley, I don't remember her name. It was disgusting. It was absolutely disgusting. And then, and then the thing is, this is a reprobate mind, okay? Some of you are smart. You've, you heard it. It was, it was beyond. It was just like, this cannot be true. This cannot be true. But it was. Now, here's what's even worse. And this is a reprobate mind. And, and if they're here, they would just freak out and they'd call me a racist. They'd call me a phobic something, right? Because that's what you do. Because if you don't want to be confronted with truth, you just blow it up and make it you are the problem because you are doing it wrong. Okay? 
that's what she did. That's essentially what she did. But here's a really, this was even sicker. I was reading the, the comments on a, on a column of this, and it was amazing to me that most, not, not most, I should, it's a 50-50 deal that said, boy, she just took him out. She really showed him. She really told him. And the message was this. I didn't get it either. No, sorry. I'm stalling, right? But, but, but she said that men can become pregnant. This is a Berkeley professor. I thought Senator Hawley handled her pretty well. I don't know how he handled it at all. Did anyone listen? You should look that up. Just go ahead and Google it and say, uh, Senator Hawley versus, or debates uh, Berkeley professor. I can't remember her name. It was a little bit different. Not that that means anything. She was just insane. I mean, it's just, and she asked him, do you believe that men, didn't she say that? She asked, can a, can a man get pregnant? <laughs> He says, can I, no, I don't. Well, you're a phobic. You're, you're transphobic. God said, see where the authority comes from? Now, he didn't say that because it's not even cool to say that. But we can say it because we have our right to speak our mind and our lives reflect the fact of what God has done powerfully in our lives that we can say with confidence, that's what God said. You see, it's amazing. That, that takes all of the heat off. That's what God said. Or a question, what did God say? It's even better. Ask a question. What did God say? And of course, oh, you don't care. Well, I can't help you. That's like some of the cults. If they won't take the Bible as the source of truth, I don't have anything. That's the basis. That's the foundation. That's why anything, that, anything you're engaged in has to be based upon what does God say. Because as soon as you make it about yourself... It's what do I, and that's, they've tried it with Jesus. They try it every day. If you get on an interview, you, you just see how they're trying to twist you in. I'm not being see, but whoever they're interviewing, to just twist them in to make it something they say based upon what they think. I don't want to do that. Actually, John MacArthur said, I've been interviewed by a lot. Uh, Larry King, he mentioned specifically. Who, wh how do you think, why do you think you can just be like, you know it all? And his answer usually was, this is his words, not mine, but he says, the part is really easy. That part's really easy. If God already said it, I can say it. That's good, isn't it? That's what it meant. Now, if God didn't say it, I got nothing to say. But there's a lot of stuff that God's pretty clear about in here. He takes a position. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's right there. You can grab it, right? But they don't want that. See, their ears, this, this, is how, this is how America, how the world is going through. It's not just to be tolerant. See, it used to be that someone that didn't want Jesus, that didn't want God, they would tolerate it by just being, you know, just, they didn't, they wouldn't say. Now you have to agree with people that want to pretend, a man that wants to pretend to be a woman. You have to agree with him. That's acceptance. No, 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 that's not what God said. What does God say? I'm on the weeds a little bit. No, but it's really not. It's a world we find ourselves living, isn't it? It's real. I mean, I want to talk about real stuff because that's what Jesus did. That's what he did. It's one thing we do at Truth Seekers. But sometimes the kids, I say, well, you know, what, what's, what's a burning question? It's surprising. And, you know, I'll maybe get back to you on that one. No, just dig in. Let's find out. If I don't know, let's figure it out, right? Because that's what we should be doing. Our young people should know where to find answers. They should be able to get in the Bible and they should be able to find it, right? We should too. Well, don't do that because I said so. <laughs> that doesn't cut it. What does God say? That's what Jesus said. Every single time. 
and he based it on his authority because his, his will was exactly patterned perfectly with the Father. That's who he came to Saul. That's why he came to die, because it was the Father's plan, the Father's will, to literally rescue mankind from sin. God didn't have anything to do with that. He didn't make him sin. But to think that he came up with a plan that would cost Jesus' own life, which we're 48 hours away. Think of that. The only one that knew that was Jesus. 48 hours away. And he's teaching and preaching in the God, and, and he's healing people. What would you do if you knew he had 48 hours before hanging on a, cruise, on a cross? I might check out, how can I get out of here, right? And Jesus, that human part of him, in Gethsemane that night, if this time, if this cup could pass for me, but not my will, but thine. That's how we get through those tough things, because we know if God is going to use it, it is for our best, for our best. As Abram would have went up to that Mount Moriah, which this temple, which has now been cleansed hundreds of years later, he was willing to do anything because he knew he could trust God. Do we trust God that much? There's no such thing as perfect trust or perfect faith. But that little, remember, that was, was, as we went through this in Mark, this is the first time I actually saw this, this little seed of mustard, you know, a, this faith as small as a mustard seed. And I'm like, yeah, but, I mean, that's not very much. But that's not the key. That's not the point. The fact, if you start with a little bit and you trust God with a little bit, it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. And pretty soon it becomes just like Abram's faith walk. He trusted God with his only son that he's supposed to go slay or sacrifice. That didn't start out big. That's one of the things about getting older in the Lord. It's amazing you can turn back. Oh, we, we erased it. That is the key, though, to prayer is really remembering. I remember back then when that, whatever it is, right? Sometimes we remember our failures. Ah, if I'd only, if I'd only trusted God. If I'd only trusted God. It's amazing how Jesus is working through these last moments, these last times. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28 for a moment. Matthew chapter 28. Start winding down. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. We'll start in verse 16. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples, 12 minus... Judas Iscariot, went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Those verses... Have passing along, delegating authority that is over the top. It's to us today as well. That's to us as well. Mark chapter 1, let's go. You just flip the page probably. You're at the end of Matthew. Mark chapter 1, verse 22. <clears throat> verse 21, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority, and not as the scribes. He was an authority right out of the box. Oh, did you remember what you were supposed to remind me of? I just happened to think of it. John chapter 2. 
Now, this is what really created this animosity. I say we're just starting to wind down. Maybe not for a little bit. Just, 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 just a little bit more. But we're, we're doing okay. And so how would you want to get started in your ministry? You know, the inauguration, we talked about that Sermon on the Mount. That was like, poof, blow the lid off the box. Amazing. I mean, he's saying things with authority that was totally different than what the scribes were saying. You know, they were kind of legal. They were kind of like drawing the lines, you know. And he said, you know, you've heard that it's a sin if you commit adultery. I'm saying if a man looks on a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. Oof, that's new stuff. Ooh, right? And he's got a whole two chapters in Matthew about it, chapter 5 to chapter 7. That's how he opens up his inaugural address. And the people are like, I wouldn't have said that. You know what? It's so common today. What would be safe? That's, that, that's reverberating through so many people in high places. What's safe? Or what's woke? To use a term, I don't even understand what that means, actually. Political correctness. Or, well, don't say anything that would be just politically correct, right? Don't. No. How come somebody doesn't say, what's true? What's true? That's what should matter. That's what's safe. They're the same way. Those, those, those religious leaders say, what's safe? Remember what they had out of this debate? And they said, you know, after thinking about it, uh, we don't know. Because it was safe. How many things were done that were safe? Who cares? What's true? That's how Jesus lived. What's true? John chapter 2. I've got to get there, right? got to get there. So think of what's got him in trouble this week. Before you go there, you can turn to John, but just stop. Don't, don't read stuff now. And what got, what got him in trouble? What got Jesus in trouble the last week of his life? Well, one is when you create a coronation where you become king in a city that they hate your guts. I mean, the, the people that run the city. Not the people. The people that run the city. Okay? They hate your guts. That'll get her done. But then, let's do the next level. Let's walk in the next morning and start rifling things out of the temple. And throwing things and getting the money changers stuff. And it's just a 35 acres worth. Did you guys know it was that big? I mean, I knew it was bigger than this place, but I'm thinking 35. Think of that under, how big would that be? Well, this little field out here we got under this pivot. You know, I put corn in or whatever. And it's, okay, if you take between the feedlot and you take where, where that pivot goes around, it's 36 acres. Just think of a 10-story wall all the way around that. That's a lot of stuff. So he messed with their, first of all, he's really got him. I mean, what's this authority thing? Who, who made you king? Who do you think you are? And then you're messing with our businesses. In fact, they called it the bazaar of, what's, what was the high priest's name? What was his name? Uh, Caiaphas and what was, the, what was Caiaphas's? Annas. Annas. Annas, yes. Okay. It was called the bazaar of Annas. It was like this, what's the bazaar? You know, it's like a market in the temple. He really messed with Annas that day. That's why the high priest hated him forever. What do you mean forever? How would you really make it a miserable place for those guys right out of the box three years earlier? What was the first thing Jesus did? Well, everyone's going to answer. He was at a wedding in Cana, and he created water. uh, Created water out of wine. Created wine out of water, right? Do you know what his next job was? The very next thing he did. This is number one on on the scorecard. Because I'm sure his mother would have said, whoa, go Jesus. That was pretty cool. Uh, What are you going to do next? I'm going to go clean the temple. Let's go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. This has been going on for three years, quite honestly. John chapter 2. Let's take a peek. John 2. And let's have a a look. We'll start in uh, 
I'm going to have, you can, you can read chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, but um, we'll just, verse 11, because it ties the, the, the miracle up of the, wa- the water into wine. It says, this beginning of miracles, verse 11, chapter 2 of John, did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. That's interesting. His first one was just making uh, wine out of water. You wait till you really see him do some good stuff. Verse 12, after this, after this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not very many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up, again, you see, going up to Jerusalem, and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he's making a whip, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remember that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto them, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? By what authority are you doing this? Now he's a young pup right now, right? Nobody's even heard of him. There was probably this little circling. Did you hear what happened at that wedding at Cana? That was crazy. This guy just says, fill water pots. He turns it into wine. That's crazy. Not, that was all. That's all I knew about him. And he goes in, he cleans the, cleans the temple. This has been going on for three years of him trying to get at the heart of the matter. And guess what's happened in three years? Right back where they started. Right back where they started. Do you see why they hate this guy? For three years, they've been chasing him. And in those three years, of all of those Gospels, you know what, again, what's missing. I sometimes want to look at see what's missing. That's how a good detective does on a crime scene, is they're looking for what's not obvious, something that's not there, something that is not, that's missing. Something that's missing from the religious leaders. Absent one guy we talked about in John chapter 3. Early on, too, that's pretty early in the ministry, Nicodemus came. Not one other time will you find, as a group particularly, the religious leaders of Sadducees, Pharisees, Herodians, you can even include those guys, the, the, uh, the elders, all of those people, they never came to Jesus looking for truth. That is absolutely stamped from hypocrites, those that are trapped in a cult. They don't confuse me with the facts. I know what I believe. I want to believe what I believe. Don't mess with me. That's exactly what they were at. You know people like that, don't you? Don't tell me about God. I like it just the way I have it. Well, God can mess with you. That's, that's, that's the Holy Spirit's job. Just think of that. For three years, just dogging Jesus, just always trying to take him out. Well, next week, you talk about tie this together. Now, he doesn't say by whose authority. But this parable that we'll unpack next week, literally, shows in the parable, and we should go and see, we'll do that next week too. Yeah, well, that, anyway, it has every one of those players in the parable defined and described. And at the end, who's the owner of the vineyard of which the religious leaders are literally taking advantage of? God. He answers it by, saying, by stating a parable, and they perceived that he was talking about them. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Isn't, God, isn't Jesus masterful? Just masterful. And then he spent the rest of that day Wednesday teaching people, healing people. This 35 acres, if there was a place I wanted to be on Tuesday or Wednesday of Passion Week, I wanted to be there. 
I would want to hear Jesus expound at the end of his ministry. He's showing people he has power over demons, over disease, over death, over doctrine, power over sin. We looked at that. He has power over everything. And now he's really taking the power of the word and spreading it around in that 35-acre complex. And he's doing it while he's walking. That was kind of rabbinical. I mean, he's not standing, standing in a place. He's literally moving through the crowd, and he's talking. That's how he taught the disciples. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be good? Just, just, just visiting with Jesus? Oh, I really would like to have been there for a little bit, right? You remember what we talked about last week, though? You remember? Mm. Excuse me? You are in the right place right now, and, and we talked a lot about prayer, didn't we? And those disciples, they got it right. How, would you, how aggressive would you be in prayer if you've had Jesus for three years that you can touch him? You've watched him walk, work, walk, take out of a jam, and he was right there. And you, I was so, it was so refreshing to me in Acts chapter 1 to know. Literally, he's taken up, and they know he's gone this time. He's ascended into heaven. He's gone. Because he said he was going to go. And what did they do? What, is the, what did they do immediately? Those of you who heard last week, they went to the upper room and prayed. They always prayed then. They, and where did they catch that from? You know, where, you know where kids, where do kids get good habits from? Did you say good habits? <laughs> Bad habits they do not get from their parents, but good habits they get from their parents. No, I'm kidding. Be, be, you, know, you know what? That's amazing, isn't it? They'd watch Jesus pray all of those years. And then they even, so smart, so smart said, would you teach us to pray like that? Oh, that'll come in handy. And you know what he did? He dropped everything. Do you pray like this? You pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. It's so daily, isn't it? I'm finding that prayer is so secondly, so minutely. I can't believe how much I talk to God now. I want to know every minute of where I should be. What does he want me to do? Where does he want me to be? How does he want me to handle that? I've lived a lot of my life thinking about that stuff too late. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Let's pray. Father God, to watch Jesus in action. We find him just a couple of days away from being the ultimate sacrifice. He's the ultimate authority, and to think the ultimate authority willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice for us, which are literally... Trapped in sin, the ultimate loser. All of that was changed. And in this interim, these 48 hours, plus or minus, for him to take the time to share, to care, and to even deal confrontationally with those that are stealing fruit, stealing food from those that desperately need it. What a picture. Father, this week, just take us and allow us to get closer to you. May we yield ourselves to you and knowing that when we seek after you, we will find you. I pray for someone that's maybe listened today or down the trail. that They haven't yielded to Christ. They haven't trusted him. That they would see that there is a point right here, it's, it's right there, it's big, it's bold. There's a point at which grace, it's too late. Don't let that be the case. Today is the day of salvation. Today is that moment, that time to reach out, to bow your heart.
and come to Christ and say, I need you. I need you. There's nothing I can do that can save myself. I cannot do that. But Jesus can. He paid for my sin. I trust Jesus alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I hope that you've made that decision. Because it will change your future. It will change everything about you. Your destination. Do not, do not linger. Do not wait. Do not have that what would be a disastrous statement. It's too late. Grace has its limits. Thank you, Father, for grace being fully flourished and in blossom in Jesus' life. May we be bold with authority, speaking the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. We as Christians always should have that in mind. But to be forthright. Our authority is not in us. Our authority is not someone we quote. It's not someone. It's you. God, if you said it, we can say it with authority because you said it. Help us to remember that it's in the Scripture. It's in the Word. The Word is our foundation. Thank you for using it today. Thank you for having the Holy Spirit minister to us, to us individually and corporately. Thank you for showing us Jesus just a little closer. We trust you. In Christ's name, amen.